This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 211. Well, just ahead, do we really know about Adobe's generative AI initiative? Maybe it's not what all it's cracked up to be. And inflation is hurting Kroger's ability to get to people without much money. And our exclusive conversation with a company on the front lines of the actual implementation of the metaverse. It's happening right now in size by Trimble. CEO job, Rob Painter is going to join us to talk about exactly how this company is doing, cutting things in AI. We would only imagine the movies happening right now. AI, the metaverse, real-time implementation. That interview coming up in just a little bit. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more. All within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to talk about the business stories behind some stocks on a move. Joining me to help me do that, executive producer Isaac Webster. Corey, how are you doing? Great stuff. Uh, interesting things, interesting trends. Some big companies today. We sometimes go with the unknowns, but uh, some big companies and some big trends they're talking about here. We're going to dig into that right now. And let's get to it. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Adobe. Adobe trades under ADBE, and Adobe shares have, over the past year, 12 months, uh, just risen at a pretty steady clip and accelerated that clip recently. Yeah, recently because the company announced that, uh, talked about their AI initiatives um, on their most recent earnings conference call. So a stock that for the year is up, uh, what, 33%, even in the last quarter is up 34%. So really burning it all uh, in the last few weeks. And that is about this look at AI. And it's not in the numbers yet. Revenues for the quarter, they just reported were up 10% to uh, uh, $4.8 billion, which is not nothing, a profitable business at that. But profit's only up 6%. Usually you want your gap operating income to grow faster than your revenues. But this is a company that is dominant in digital art, dominant with programs like Adobe Illustrator, my favorite, Adobe Photoshop uh, Mm -hmm. and others. Um, And uh, the notion that other things as simple as a search engine could create usable content where you don't need an artist and indeed you don't need Illustrator or Photoshop could be threatening to these guys. But they were able to spin the story very differently talking about in the last conference call, um, uh, all of the AI initiatives that they have at the company and what those might look like in the future. But the future isn't the present. In the present, they don't have a lot. Now, that didn't uh, hurt the stock. When they talked about this stuff, the AI bots that write headlines and trade stocks, and yeah, that's a thing. Well, they all loved it. The robots loved the talk about robots, <laughs> as did uh, not-so-clever financial reporters, and some analysts liked it too. But uh, uh, when the CEO says things about that they might be doing, they put out headlines that say, Adobe earnings beat estimates, guidance raised, CEO touts AI chops. That was one headline I wrote. But in that earning call, 
when they were talking about uh, AI and talking about their AI initiative, which they call Firefly, their generative AI uh, initiative, there were some clues that it's not a thing yet. And and, and indeed, uh, in my own efforts, I'm an, I'm an Adobe customer. I pay a lot of money for the Creative Cloud every year. Um, the program just wouldn't launch. Their Photoshop beta, it's not an actual launch. They say it is included. It's out there where customers are testing it, wanting, asking for it. But it's, if you're a user of Photoshop, you don't get this. You've got to actually subscribe to and download their their glitchy beta program. In my few attempts, I couldn't get the thing to work. But let's talk a little bit, really briefly, about what AI is giving us in images and what it's not giving us. The images that are created by DALL-E, the images that are uh, the OpenAI project, the images that are created by Bing's uh, uh, image creation, which relies on OpenAI, the images, theoretically, that the Adobe Photoshop beta will create are all uh, pixel-based. They're like uh, drops of ink, although they're pixelated drops. They are not vector illustrations like Adobe Illustrator creates, which is made up of lines and math that create those lines and the, and, and the geometry that goes into creating those lines. Vector art is the stand, standard that the creators of type and the creators of art, professional artists use, not necessarily photography and pixel art. So thus far, there hasn't been an Adobe Illustrator-like AI company or AI program. It's going to be very hard. It's a very different um, uh, generative model that can figure out the math behind something that has been created and generate the projections of what that would look like as opposed to the pixelated version. Now, it's possible, theoretically. Heck, a pixelated version seems like it's less possible. But uh, that's a big stretch for Adobe to get to. And the stuff that artists, professional artists want to use maybe more vector-based than pixelated-based. And that's something I don't see the analysts talking about. I don't see Adobe talking about it, except for saying that those products are on the way eventually. So specifically, let us listen to Adobe's David Wadwani, who is the president of Digital Media Business. He's excited about what's coming, but towards the end of this little uh, soundbite, you're going to hear him say, it's not going to impact Q3. Uh, maybe we'll see it later. Here is Adobe talking about AI. We're really excited, if you can tell on the call, about uh, you know Firefly and what this represents. Uh, the early customer and community response has been absolutely uh, exhilarating for all of us. You heard us talk about over half a billion assets that have already been generated. You know, generations from Photoshop were uh, were 80 times higher than uh, than we had originally projected. Uh, you know, going into the beta. Uh, and uh, obviously, you know, feel really good about both the, the quality of the content being created and also the ability to scale uh, the product uh, to support that. And uh, uh, we've seen incredible social buzz. Um, you know, uh, the, the Photoshop community is doing what it always does uh, and is using, uh, using the product, uh, both Firefly and Photoshop, in ways that we didn't even think of. Uh, when we were initially uh, uh, building the, the, the feature set. So it's great to see all this organic development and, and buzz coming up. Uh, and as we talked about, we're also excited about what this means from a business opportunity perspective. On the retention side, we think the value that we add in the flagship applications are going to be uh, great for existing users. Um, in terms of top of funnel, we think that this helps us reach billions of new users because it makes the, the act of creating uh, more accessible um, with regard to conversion. We are very excited about what this can mean for new user onboarding, both you know uh, Photoshop and Illustrator and also in Express. It makes the onboarding of new customers 
especially early success, uh, far more achievable for, for them. It introduces new offers with adobe.com slash Firefly as a destination that we can monetize and everything that we talked about uh, at Summit last week around what this can be as an enterprise-grade offering. Uh, and of course, with all of this, uh, we have an opportunity to sell subscription credit packs uh, for upsell opportunities. So if you net all that out, we see an ARPU opportunity, we see a net a number of users opportunity, and also because of retention and LTV opportunity. Um, now we expect all of this to play out over many years. We're very focused right now on user acquisition. Um, none, of, uh, none of this we expect to impact our Q3 numbers. Um, and we'll start to see some of it in Q4, but we don't expect it to be material. But as I mentioned, we expect to see it ramp over the next few years. So the stock has ramped already, Isaac, but a ramp over the next few years uh, doesn't mean a 30% ramp like the stock has had in the last few weeks. And I think, um, uh, you know, I wish them well, and, and I'm looking forward to using the, uh, an AI product from Adobe, uh, but they're not there yet. Corey, what is your next drill down? To Kroger, that mega grocer here in the Kroger, US. Kroger uh, trades under KR. And if you're looking at a 12-month chart, KR share shares have just sort of gone up and down, not really gone much of anywhere, a little bit f almost flat. Yeah, indeed. And um, uh, not much from Kroger at all, as you say. Um, yeah. Um, when, when we look at kind of the, the exact hard numbers and the performance, you see it. it. It's been a painful way to go to over a year to be down 8% or a half year to be up 6%, 5% to really just end up right where you started. Um, and, you know, the big issues there, of course, are inflation. What, you know, we've, we heard so much about inflation a year ago when the price of butter and the price of eggs uh, uh, and meat was going through the roof. Now, inflation's cooled off and the customers are getting used to inflation. And that's something we're hearing across the board in all kinds of companies. But uh, for the quarter, they saw sales at Kroger up just 1%. Same store sales, if you take out fuel, they sell fuel in some places, up about 4%, 3.5%. Uh, but they said uh, they've been able to, to manipulate price a little bit to lower price to drive customers into their private label stuff, which actually is higher margins for them. Mm. And then backfill with premium labels uh, uh, by getting some of their higher income customers into it. But the poorer customers who are on SNAP, who are on welfare, are spending less. They're buying fewer items. And that's hurting Kroger, uh, even if it's not about the new inflation, but the perception of inflation is Kroger CEO Rodney McMullen. As inflation gets lower, you do see tonnage increases. Uh, we would expect, as you look over the balance of the year, that would be uh, would happen as again. I would say we're uh, too early in the process to really be able to say specifically. Uh, we are seeing uh, trend improvements in uh, market share in some of those aspects and very good share gain uh, in uh, mainstream and uh, less price sensitive shoppers. So, you know, it, it really is a bifurcation where uh, certain customers uh, are behaving as if the, the way the economy has always been. But customers that are on a budget under SNAP, you know, there's a significant reduction in SNAP dollars in the marketplace, and they are making uh, significant modifications. Uh, including uh, before maybe buying something that was a unit of 12, and now they'll buy a unit of four. Uh, they're going more frequent, but buying less each trip and things like that. So we would expect, uh, as you look over the balance of the year, tonnage would improve. 
uh, as inflation continues uh, to decline on a year-on-year basis. But I always think it's important to remember that inflation is cycling high inflation, which usually causes inflation increases to be less moderate. And as we look out through the balance of the year, we would still expect to have inflation is just less than what it's been in the last uh, couple of years or year and a half. So that's the trend we're hearing. Yeah, inflation's still here and people are still worried, but it seems to be moderating and the worry seems to be moderating as well. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at that home builder, Lennar. We've been talking about home builders a little bit lately. I think that they... They tell us a lot about the economy, but the stories are just really interesting right now. Uh, Lennar, which has been off to the races, uh, is uh, chief among them. Yeah, they've given us, they've all had their own specific narratives to the companies. Uh, Lennar trades under LEN. And if you're looking at a 12 month chart, LEN shares, LEN, 89%. Straight up. Yeah, 89% a year. Steady, steady. I take that. Yeah. Yeah. If I were 89% taller this year, Isaac, <laughs> our listeners are bored God of that comparison. Us. I would be about 11 feet tall, though, just saying. Um, and, and then some. But uh, interesting quarter from these guys uh, because things were really mixed. Um, you know, the earnings the previous year, $1.3 billion in the quarter, were down to $870 million. So earnings, you know, cut basically in half. Um, the average sales price per home also down about 10% from a half million dollars to $450,000. Wow. Um, but in uh, home deliveries, um, actually up a little bit for this company. So they're selling cheaper houses and slightly more of them and earning a lot less money. Um, and one of the ways they've been able, so this is, uh, and they talked at the call about things we've heard from other home builders, which is the higher interest rates are hurting affordability. So they got to lower prices. But the higher interest rates means some people just won't move. And when people won't move out of their existing homes, fewer stuff is on the market. And when fewer stuff's on the market, the desire for cheaper new homes, like the types that Lennar make, uh, is very high. And the way they're finding, but you got to find the right buyer. And you've got to let that buyer know that your product exists. And the way that they are doing it, well, of course, it might be artificial intelligence, but they don't want to say that, Isaac. So CEO right. Stuart Miller asked specifically on the conference call at the end of the quarter about AI, he wasn't even willing to say the catchphrase AI when directly asked about it. I want to be very careful with the use of that catchphrase that seems to be um, incendiary relative to stock prices when people are using them. Uh, I don't want to get out over our skis, but I did want to daylight that, um, you know, the machine that we described um, uh, that we are engaging is really a uh, data-driven approach to so many components of our business. Um, and, and I think that we have, uh, we've, we've, we've done a tremendous amount of work. Uh, if you look at our digital marketing program, you look at our dynamic pricing model, uh, both of them we've talked about for many, many uh, quarters, for years. Um, and these are data-driven approaches to the way that we're engaging the customer acquisition componentry of our business. Uh, it's a very integrated set of systems uh, that is dependent on feedback loops. And anytime that you um, find a process that uh, becomes data-driven and the data improves to the point that it's actually relevant, um, at some point, 
there are large learning models that can be helpful in enhancing productivity. Uh, these are the areas where we're leaning in. Uh, I mentioned that uh, we brought on a strategic chief technology officer in Scott uh, Spradley, and, um, and all of this is a coordinated program of taking steps at a time to improve the ingestion of data, to use the data more constructively, and then to bring it to its next level where we're actually driving productivity gains within our business. We'll have more to report. So they will have more to report, although it sounds like he wants to stay out of the firing range of being named an AI stock. Maybe good for the short term, not good for the long term. Um, they're staying out of the way uh, over at Lennar Homes. All right, coming up next, a guest. Uh, this isn't about some futuristic technology. This is about a sales of Trimble products, of metaverse-like products that are helping uh, use spatial relationships and GPS to make construction happen, to let uh, industrial workers know what they're supposed to do, use the right parts, fix the right stuff with super cool goggles on their heads. They're selling uh, uh, tons of this stuff. It's a business that's growing really fast for an old technology company, Trimble. Trimble's CEO, Rob Painter, joins us to talk about these innovations that are happening in real time right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled, technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now, as promised, by Rob Painter. He's the CEO of Trimble. Trimble, uh, a fascinating company um, uh, that's up to all kinds of things uh, that are uh, I guess, Rob, Rod, what would you say? Location-based is kind of the heart of everything you do? Yeah, absolutely. We have a history that goes back 45 years to when Charlie Trimble founded the business. And so we certainly have a lot of roots in, uh, in positioning and spatial technologies. And over the decades since then, we've added a fair amount of software. So think about planning software, modeling software, and analytics to complement what's happening in uh, the, the field, what happens in the office, connecting the hardware, the software, and connecting ultimately the physical and the digital worlds. Yeah, I, d I did some work on the company a long time ago, my goodness, uh, almost 15, more than 15 years ago, when I was, I was working at a hedge fund and we were short Garmin on, frankly, not a great premise. It wasn't, wasn't mine, but the notion was that someday phones would have location-based stuff in it and you wouldn't need to go out and buy a handheld or, or special units for your vehicle, which proved to be true ultimately. But at the time, it wasn't really happening. It wasn't happening fast. It was a good short because the inventory was a problem, like any good inventory short. But uh, it wasn't the thesis wasn't great. But Trimble was somewhere out there making some devices or some intelligence for some of the devices. You guys are in a very different place right now. Um, how do you, what's, what's your cocktail party description of what your, your company does? Build the world, feed the world, move the world. Um, that's the why of Trimble. And we're doing it uh, by delivering products and services that connect the physical and digital worlds. Uh, you know, we today are primarily focused on end markets such as engineering and construction, transportation, and agriculture. So these big markets that are undergoing fundamental shifts as they digitize 
which is even accelerated, of course, uh, over the course of the last couple of years. So think industrial technology you know, as compared to, let's say, Garmin, a more on a consumer side of, of, of positioning routes. You look at the world that we're in in Trimble, and when precision matters, um, that's where we show up. Uh, so really bringing precision to, to these uh, workflows, precision and automation to workflows. So let's break down a couple. I, I want to get to ag, but let's let's start with well, let's start with ag. How about then we'll come back to construction? You, you said feed the world towards the end and build the world towards the beginning. Let's start with the feed the world part because I think that that's sort of easily easiest to visualize. How how does your um, software work in the world of agriculture? What, what, so what, no, let me even back up, make it even more simple. What what happens on a farm that didn't happen before Trimble Software? What did it look like before? What does it look like after? Gosh, when you look back at history and you look at the statistics um, of how many people used to work on farms, what percent of the population, it's staggering and compare that to the world of uh, today. So automation and technology have been fundamental in shifting the dynamics of how ag works. I'll give you a statistic in agriculture. If you take the world's population, it's going to continue to grow and you fast forward to the year 2050, um, the data would suggest that we're going to need 69% more calories to feed a growing global population on basically the same amount of land where we've got challenges with water, we got challenges around climate change. So therefore uh, enters the role of technology. So, okay, hey, how's technology doing that? Well, if you think about a farm, so let's, let's uh, get that mental image of a farm. Um, any farm has uh, an aspect of weaker parts of the soil on a farm and stronger, healthier parts of soil on a farm. What that provides an opportunity to do is to variably rate, apply pesticides, herbicides on that farm. In other words, put more down um, where the soil is weaker, put less uh, where, the, where, the, where the soil is stronger. The same technology is precisely planting seed on the farm. So when, you know, the kind of accuracy we're talking about is Call it less than two centimeter level of accuracy. That means you're putting the seed in the exact right place. And when you do that, you optimize the yield of the crop. So this is fundamentally about optimizing yield while reducing simultaneously the use of inputs on the farm and being able which to- is, Which is, optimizes a different yield for the farmer because they're spending less money fertilizing places that don't exactly. need fertilizer. And, yeah, so interesting. and you're working hand in hand with Caterpillar among others to do that. We work with Caterpillar um, in construction for the most part. Um, our agriculture business, you know, ag got um, Caterpillar got out of the ag business a number of, uh, of years ago. Yeah. Um, so we work with a lot of the, we work at actually over a hundred different OEMs in agriculture on that side of the business. And then our business is primarily an aftermarket business in agriculture today. So, uh, so let, let's, I'm uh, sorry. So let's, let's jump to Caterpillar or jump to construction. What are you doing in construction and how does that work with construction? Okay, so on the software side of construction, if you think about a project, it could be a highway bill, which is a highway build, which is relevant in the context of the bipartisan infrastructure law, or I think about the, um, the building you're in today or that I'm in um, today, it takes a complex network of stakeholders to create a project. So think architects, engineers, contractors, general contractors, subcontractors, and ultimately the owner. Um, the technology we have at Trimble connects the stakeholders across this industry lifecycle that moves from the design to a construction phase to an operational phase. So we've got purpose-built solutions for architects for that conceptual design. In engineering, we work with mechanical, electrical, plumbing, steel, concrete contractors. We have technology for the general contractors to help them manage the business. Um, in the world of civil construction, um, we do 
um, earth moving technologies. Think about machine control and guidance. Basically, it's autonomy. Um, like think kind of between level one and level two autonomy. We have high precision GPS on the blade of a dozer grader excavator. We can control the hydraulics. We know the engineering design um, for that particular site and you move the dirt right the first time. So you can get 40, 50% productivity improvements because you eliminate wow. the rework when you do the work right the first time. This is the power of technology and in, in, uh, in construction. And so to connect that work in the field um, and the office is something that we can uniquely do as we really cover a very broad set of stakeholders across the whole industry. I was trying to imagine in reading your SEC filings and so on, the the construction business, in terms of the general contractor, which is doesn't seem like it, it uh, lends itself to um, spatial stuff because the, the areas they work in can be so much smaller, right? You're not building a highway, you're building a building or you're building a house or whatever. But how does it work there? Explain that to me. So think about um, designing a model, and we do this. This isn't just imagination. <laughs> this is real. Designing a model that's a of a building that's accurate down to the level of the anchor bolts um, in that building. That level of precision, when you build it right virtually before you build it physically, you can eliminate the rework. And the big problem in construction is that the data tells us that 80% of projects are late and 40% of projects are over budget. Okay, well, why is that? There's a complex set of stakeholders that come together. Because my contractor is a crook. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking back to building a house. No, my contractor wasn't a crook. How about that? My contractor wasn't a crook. He was a great builder. But yes, we were way late and way over budget. Change orders. Damn it. That will happen. But hey, there's technology and we're here to help. And so, so you're really seeing that, that you're able to kind of avoid those problems in, in industrial builds uh, by, by using this. So how does, it, how does it happen at the actual site? What's going on there? What are they interfacing? What, what and who is interfacing with your software? So go to, next time, you, if you have an opportunity to go to a, a project, let's think about a commercial building. You're going to see a trailer on the job site. You always see a trailer. Go in the trailer these days and you're going to see a TV screen, probably a few TV screens um, on, the, on the trailer. Um, oh, did I lose you? No, I'm still here. You were okay. good. We can so sorry. this out. Uh, we're good. So you go into, uh, you go into the, uh, the trailer and you have, you have a TV screen in, in the trailer. What that screen is showing you is a highly accurate model of that construction project. So what you can see, for example, is I can see the steel, I can see the HVAC, the mechanical work, I can see the electrical work. I can see where you're going to have a problem or a conflict before it ever happens in the physical world. So you can actually redesign virtually before you have to do it physically. When you design that steel down to the level of the anchor bolt, anchor bolt accuracy, when you actually do the erection of the steel on the site, it fits right the first time. And when it fits right the first time, guess what? You don't have to redo the work. Um, so that's the kind of nature of, of actually how the spatial technology um, is, it gets out into the field. So those models are highly accurate. And then you can use um, Trimble, uh, essentially survey equipment to help you lay out um, everything in that building to a high level of precision. So is this software looking at a, uh, essentially doing a, um, a, a read of the visual image it's seeing and creating some kind of vector to compare it to the CAD uh, design that happened to, to you know, design the building? Yeah, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty close. In fact, what we'll often do is ingest the CAD model and then make it constructible. So the CAD model may give you the design intent. So here's the pretty picture of what your home or that building is supposed to look like. But a contractor can't actually build off that. That's when they need the engineering level 
of detail. So instead of a line saying this is the steel beam in the building, it's dimensionally accurate. So when you create your estimates, you're doing it off a dimensionally right. accurate model. So you can create highly accurate estimates. And then as you're doing the construction itself, you know, these days you could take a, like a Microsoft HoloLens. We have a purpose-built one for Trimble. Um, so it's a, like a, a Trimble hard hat. And I could overlay the digital model and see what's happening in the physical build um, out there in the world. And I could do a quality control to see how I'm doing against what the model tells me it's supposed to be. Wow. And that all data can also provide you a very, very set of powerful information to know if my project's going to be on time and on budget. Because I want to compare that against where I'm supposed to be uh, on the project. And at the end of the project, you can hand over to an owner what's called uh, the, that digital twin, that digital built, um, um, as built uh, from that project. And think about now the operational and maintenance phase where the majority of the lifetime cost of a building actually happens. That's super interesting. Um, uh, how, how do you charge for this? In, in your, again, in your SEC filings, you say in some cases you've got software as a service, but in other cases you've got um, you know, download and install, you know, what, what, how do you charge for your services and how is that changing? Yeah. So last year we closed uh, at a, over 3.6 billion of, of revenue today, about 60% of our revenue is uh, software and services. And the, the other 40% is mostly um, hardware. So this gets to the history of Trimble and the positioning spatial technologies meets the world of software. Increasingly, we see more subscription business models. Um, so last quarter, we closed at over 1.65 billion of ARR that grew double digit organically year over year. So really a very intentional shift of our business um, towards software to complement what we've done historically and more and more an emphasis on uh, delivering customers a subscription offering. And so we see the market actually asking for this increasingly, you know, closer tied to consumption, um, more desire for OPEX. So if you're doing, if you're in construction, it's very project oriented work. Um, if you're paying OPEX, that actually allows you to correlate um, and charge your operating costs to a given job. So increasingly we find bundled offerings, um, subscription offerings to be our best and most unique path to market at Trimble. And, and you've seen, you know, over the last five years, a fantastic increase in gross profit margins, which would suggest you're, you're moving more towards software. Your EBITDA margins are also fantastic uh, in, the, in the low 20s, but uh, your revenue growth has slowed down. What am I seeing when I look at that? Yeah, so you're seeing a couple of, of dynamics taking place. One, we actually have had intentional shifts to the subscription business model. So when you make that shift from a perpetual software to subscription, as you know, you tend to go through a valley before you come out on the other side of it. And we can see that happening in our software businesses. So those software ARR businesses were up 13% um, organically last quarter. So that's a very positive um, set of momentum we have in that business. By the math, what we've seen is our hardware businesses we're down year over year and those have slowed. And so, you know, we were like many other companies caught up in the COVID time period of the big um, swings in inventory and supply chain issues. So, you know, our partners went pretty long on inventory as did, as did we. And then we've seen that correct back the other way. So, you know, what I've been talking about with uh, our investors for a while is to see it's been a little hard to see the signal through the noise and the quarters at this point are a little bit noisy when you're trying to tr the traditional year over year comps. You have to look at more of a longitudinal trend in the hardware businesses to see the growth that we've had um, over a multi-year baseline. 
Let me ask you finally about moving. You guys moved from Silicon Valley to Colorado. Um, uh, why and what, what 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 made that decision? One, you it, it was the right time to implement. Yeah. So hey, Charlie Chimble founded the business. He was the Silicon Valley startup in a garage. You know, literally yeah. um, story. Um, Charlie story, done. by the way. It has been done. He may have been, he was OG. I mean, he was there, um, you know, back in 19, uh, in the mid seventies, uh, doing this. So the founded of the business in 1978, he was working at Hewlett Packard at the time, uh, by the way. And he took an idea around Loran positioning and later this thing called GPS, uh, that HP wasn't interested in. And so he was able to buy some know-how and some IP and start, uh, and start Trimble. Fast forward, you know, 20 plus years later, you get into the dot-com boom area um, time in the call it the late 90s, early 2000s. And there was a lot of turn of people in the valley. In fact, you know, that's obviously been part of the culture in the valley for a long time. Um, and at the same time, we had acquired and actually really kind of maybe more so merged um, our company with another one around the 2000 timeframe. Colorado served a purpose of being a little bit of neutral ground for this new and bigger company. Uh, and it also provided a basis for folks who couldn't afford to live in California and, and at the time and, and for the other side of the business that had a big presence in Dayton, Ohio. So there's a little bit of middle ground on that. And then over the years, we continued to add more and more people here in Colorado. So we have about a thousand people who are in Colorado today. And so we made uh, official what is probably was already obvious um, to ourselves internally to move the headquarters here. And so we did it officially in October last year. And how is it? What's different about it? Well, I say, I'd say for the last number of years that we've been here, call it almost 20 years now, um, we've been able to find and attract a, a really high quality workforce. Colorado, uh, as you probably know, has a lot of people moving to Colorado. And so that's been a good thing for us. It's more affordable than California for those Californians who've who've come here. It's expensive for everybody else, but um, for those who've come from that part uh, of the world, it's an affordable place. So we've been able to attract a high quality workforce. Um, hey, we live in the great outdoors here, and so that attracts uh, a lot of uh, people to what we uh, to what we do at, at Trimble. And so it's been a really great success story for us, um, having been here now for uh, for quite a while and continuing to build our presence here. Well, it's a fascinating story and, and an interesting one to watch as, as you make this turn. Um, uh, as you said, uh, the, 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 the long-term signal is, is much more interesting than the short-term noise. And we're glad to have you uh, help explain it to us. Appreciate your time. Right, Rob glad Peter, to be here. CEO of Trimble. Coming up next, the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Trimble right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. All right, we are back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Trimble and Isaac. The Trimble business is super cool. Uh, and it's a hard business to look uh, take a quick look at the numbers and think you know what's going on. Because uh, as they get rid of, of some of those old businesses, focus their capital allocation on these new growth businesses that are where they're charging as a service. Uh, you don't see it just in the, in the short-term revenues from this company. But the thing that lets them do that, to make this, to change the, 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 uh, the, the, the fan belt whilst the engine runs is free cash flow. Right, right. And this business is generating lots of free cash flow at a, at a faster uh, conversion rate 
Um, the free cash flow is growing at a 46% clip, but the number one to focus on here is the dollar amount. Trimble generated $202 million of free cash flow just in the first quarter. And that kind of free cash flow growth and that free, free cash flow flat out lets them make big changes in the business and go after the best business model to serve the customers they're already serving with this cool tech. All right, that's it for the Drill Down Podcast. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. I'm Corey Johnson. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.